here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. SAFM 106.2 FM in Zanin. All right, so a gentleman called Benedict Daswa, uh, about nine days before Madiba left prison, uh, was killed in in a very small part of, uh, it was in, I think it was in Toyando, um, that area. And it came out of absolutely what seemed to be nowhere. He was a priest at the time. He was a Catholic priest. Um, fast forward a couple of years later, he is then beatified, the first South African to be beatified. For those who are not Catholic, what that means is that this is somebody who the church then deems to be a saint. And it's a very significant move for those who are believers and for those who, who think that his life was of significance. But the, the, for me, what is interesting about his story is the tensions around our culture, around how we got to be where we are. Um, missionaries coming into this continent, missionaries converting us into being what we are, our own conviction as to who we are, how we identify ourselves, and those tensions and how we have people like Benedict Daswa becoming what is now um, Saint Benedict Daswa. To join me to discuss this legacy of, of this man is, is Chris Mpapudi, who is a friend um, of Blessed Benedict Daswa. That's how you refer to him now. I want to welcome you to the show and thank you so much for joining us, Ndati Mpapudi. Thank you very much. So let, let's talk. You, you knew him very well, did you? Yes. Can I correct what we have just said before we Yes, come go on ahead. Air? Go ahead. We are yes. already on air, uh, but I think it's good for us to correct us on air as well. Yeah. No, Blessed Benedict Joshua was not a priest. He was not he a was priest at all? He was a layman. Mm-hmm. He was not a priest. He was yeah. a layman. And uh, when he was killed, he was the principal of the school. So he was not principal and priest? He was the principal, but he was not a priest. Mm-hmm. A priest, it's um, in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, they are the pastors, so yes. to say, but they don't marry. Yes, it's understood. So, okay, no, 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 that's good to clarify that because um, okay. the understanding was that, yes, he was a teacher, he was a principal, but at the same time was a priest. So that's not the case. So he was not... No, he was the principal. Mm-hmm. I thought perhaps you said pastor. Perhaps I misunderstood you. Yes. No, let's no, go on. That's, yes. Let's go ahead. I think that the clarity is important and thank you very much for that. So talk to us about your relationship with him. No, actually, like, uh, I'm saying that uh, when he was a teacher, and uh, while I was doing my uh, secondary education, he, actually, I wanted to become a doctor. I didn't want to become a teacher. But uh, seeing the family where I was coming from, a not well-to-do family, he himself and uh, the late Father O'Connor, who was his friend, uh came to me and they requested and uh, uh, told me that I should become a teacher. When I talked to them that, well, I wanted to do metric at that time, I was told that, well, I could do it uh, through correspondence. 
but uh, they wanted me to become the teacher. So, well, we're very close because he was a Catholic, I was a Catholic as well. And that's the reason why when I started teaching in 1977, he was the principal of Mweli Primary School. And after teaching for about uh, two years, then I was promoted to become the principal of another school. And I knew that well, I didn't know anything about uh, leadership. As I knew him, I went to him. That was uh, in December of uh, 1978, when schools have closed. I went to his home, and, uh, well, you can understand what type of a person he was. Yes. Uh, we sat under the mango trees, under the shade of the mango trees, which he planted himself because he liked gardening. Mm. Now, as we were there, around 10 o'clock, it was tea time. And uh, rather than him telling his wife to make tea for us, he said he would make tea for ourselves. And... Uh, I wondered because uh, normally when I grew up, I knew that, uh, well, if I've got a wife, she's the one who should make tea. Whether she's doing something, she must stop doing that what she's doing and make tea for us. <laughs> so he said to me, unfortunately, here, this is my wife and not your wife. And uh, you know what? <laughs> We, we don't have anything. When you say you are a Catholic, you don't have anything in our religion where women should be treated that way. Women are not slaves. And uh, if my wife is doing something, I should do, I should help her, even cooking. And this he has done also when we had meetings. When we had meetings, he would uh, encourage that uh, we should respect our wives one way or another to help them while they were busy doing some things. <laughs> Say, for example, <laughs> like myself now, I cannot cook. <laughs> and uh, he told me that uh, when your wife is ill, who is going to cook for you? And uh, I realized that uh, it's hard at times, like uh, last year, my wife had gone to Johannesburg to visit uh, one of our children. Mm -hmm. Then I remained alone with my son. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I had the hardest life because <laughs> uh, I had to cook. <laughs> then I realized that well, had I had ears to listen to him. <laughs> I wouldn't be suffering like what was happening last year. <laughs> oh, you that's know, such he a was such story. a type of a person, and uh, he would tell us as Catholics that uh, if you want to live a good life, be yourself. And uh, don't just say yes to anybody just to please that somebody, whether it's uh, your senior or it's a priest. If you see that this thing is wrong, say it there. Uh, and I was very close to him because he used to help also. You know, 
as a principal of the school, there were learners who could not afford to buy school uniform. Yes. And uh, he would make it a point that uh, he wouldn't just give money to say, no, go and buy a school uniform. He would request those learners to go to his garden on Saturdays just to, to work so that uh, he could give them money to buy uniforms, school fees as well. And when the learner was absent from school, he at times he didn't have uh, a vehicle. He would cycle to the place, to the home. If he could find out that, well, the learner just decided to stay at home for no reason, then he would cycle and uh, the learner would be running behind uh, the bicycle and uh, he or she would know that uh, when he or she arrives at school, he will get what uh, he will not do it again. Sometimes he will find that uh, uh, the learner couldn't uh, come to school because she was ill. Like what happened uh, the other day when he went there, he realized that, well, the mother was saying, no, she couldn't come because she is ill. Then he said, why didn't you take the learner to the clinic? And uh, the mother said, no, I don't have money. I mean, let's just pause it there. Uh, and This is Chris Mpapudi, who is Blessed Benedict Daswa's friend. As we commemorate 30 years since his passing, he passed on in his hometown. And we'll discuss that further around the circumstances around his passing. What makes him significant is that we can now call him Saint Benedict Daswa. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM. 106.6 FM in Bloemfontein. I'm in conversation with Chris Papudi, who is a friend of Blessed Benedict Daswa. Benedict Daswa was made into a saint a few years ago, but he, uh, this is the anniversary of his passing 30 years ago, um, where he was murdered by his community. And, 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 and Chris, let's just go back to. You clarified one or two things before we went on with this conversation to say that he was not a priest, a Catholic priest. Connect the dots for me. How then did the Catholic Church pick up on him as just an ordinary member of the church? Oh, yes. Um, The thing is, uh, he used to... uh, You know, in our community, we had... uh, only one priest for so many communities and one catechist for so many communities. In our area, we had 10 uh, communities, and which was difficult for him to can cover all 10 communities on one Sunday. So he decided that, well, myself, himself, and the late uh, Mr. Makuva and... Uh, Mr. Convince Makwarela should uh, try and help the catechist and the priest by uh, saying uh, Sunday service on Sunday so that uh, we could cover all communities. Ah. So he was helpful in that manner. And also to teach catechism lessons when he, 
on Sundays just before service or mass. That makes perfect sense to me. He he did convert into being a Catholic. He was not born a Catholic, correct? Yes. And 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 what was his background before that, in terms of spirituality and in terms of religion? Religion. No, actually, immediately when he grew up, he became a Catholic when he went to Johannesburg and uh, found a Catholic uh, friend there. But at the same time, you will remember that uh, it's a Lemba. He used to say that were Lembas are born Christians. They, because they consider themselves as black Jews. So then when he came back, he was, uh, he started uh, with his catechism lessons, which uh, used to last for three years at that time. And he was then baptized a full Catholic. And he, this, he, he was helping here and there for so many things at the parish council. He was the youth animator. He, he was the first youth animator in the whole parish. And he also was um, sometimes became a leader in the PPC, the Parish Pastoral Council. He had so many things that he was doing at the church. Let's talk about the, the fateful day and the circumstances around his death and, and what happened on that day. Could you quickly take us through that, please? Okay, that was on the 2nd of February in 1990. Previously, there were some houses that were struck by lightning. And uh, the community there at that time, they assembled at uh, the Hetman's Crow, the traditional leader at that village of Mbahe. Then they suspected that, well, it's not... Um, a normal lightning, they said, well, there's somebody who might uh, have uh, turned into a bed-like creature to bend the houses. Then they said, well, we have to get somebody to sniff out that person uh, who was causing those things. So he arrived late at the meeting. When he arrived there, they had decided that uh, each family hold should contribute five five run towards the sniffing out of uh, the person who is terrorizing the village people. Now, he said, my faith doesn't allow me to do so. Also, you cannot say you are going to sniff out because lightning is a natural phenomenon. He was talking to people who were teachers, others who were uh, educated. So he said, I can't understand why people like yourselves still clinging to something that uh, doesn't have any value. So at that time, they said, should you not contribute this five round? Which he, he further said, well, you go and sniff out, you will be lied to, and then you will start killing people, innocent people. So they said, should you not contribute this five round to what is missing out of the witch, then we are going to kill you. So he said, well, 
my faith, I will die saying what I'm saying now. So on the day in question, on the 2nd of February, 1990, he went to a nearby town. Now, when he came back with uh, somebody else with a bag of minimi, in fact, there was somebody ill at his home, so he decided to give that man a lift. Now, when he gave him a lift, he had a bag of 80 kg minimi, so when he arrived at his home, it was beginning to be dark. So the owner of the bag of millimil said, No, Benedict, yes, you have helped me, but uh, let's offload this 80 kg of millimil here at your home. I'll come with a wheelbarrow the following day because where I'm going is not very far. I'll go on foot. So he said, No, I'm taking you to your home because... I'm not doing it for yourself because at work you might have eaten, but your children uh, have not yet eaten. So as he passed through, those people who were with him at the headman's crawl, they saw him and they realized that, well, where he's going, he will use the same road coming back. So they decided to block the road with um, three locks and stones and they were on both sides of the road armed with stones, pangas and nobkiris ready for him. As he came back, he wanted to open the door to remove the blockade and stones started raining on him uh, from different directions. Then he ran through the football field towards uh, the nearby uh, Shibin and he thought perhaps he would get uh, help there because home was still very far and he was injured. Then when he arrived there there were some people enjoying soak and beer. Then at first he wanted to go through the uh, four-roomed house, but he was not allowed, and he saw a rendezvous uh, house with the door open. He went inside there. Now, two boys arrived first. They were looking for him. Now, one old man who was enjoying Sogam beer there said, well, the old man is inside there. Uh, so they went inside, and they wanted to pull him out. So he clobbered one of them because he was uh, bleeding with blood. And they said, well, we're not going to harass you anymore. We are not going to do anything to you. So when they took him out, the whole mob was now there. All right, that is Chris Mpapudi there just reminiscing around that fateful death when his friend, Blessed Benedict Daswa, was killed 30 years ago, almost today. It is just gone 2.30. Let's go to Uzi Lasaku for the very latest in headlines.